Greetings, everyone, and welcome back to the Preacher's Corner. I'm Pastor Jay, and today we're going to finish off the book of Jude here, beginning in verse number 10, and we're going to be moving down to the end of the chapter. So uh, it's a very special letter that we've been in. It's a fight for the faith, or as would be said in verse number 3, that we would contend earnestly for the faith which was once delivered unto us, that we not forget where we came from in Christ Jesus, but that we remember our past so that we can move forward in our present to a glorious future. A very important letter to be given to us today. So, as we pick up in verse number 10, before we start, let's ask God for His blessing. Heavenly Father, we ask and pray that blessing be upon us this day as we study Thy Word here in and this precious letter that you gave to Jude to give to us, we ask and pray that you will allow us to be able to see as you see, hear as you hear, and know, Lord, how to spot those who would come in un unawares or unnoticed. Father, that we may be able to realize where we have been led astray that we may be able to discover the path of righteousness for your name's sake lord and get right back into it so that we may serve you well in jesus name amen and that's what this letter of jude is all about is a little bit of a shock factor that would bring us back to recognizing the dangers of just taking anyone that believes anything into our congregations because obviously everything that anyone believes isn't always going to be correct. Even those things which, which we could have held even 10 years ago if we were faithful in our study to the Lord's Word, we would discover that some of those things were incorrect, that we would need to change, that as we grow in our understanding and in the capacity of the Holy Spirit to give us understanding, then there are things that, that do change within us and about us as we go forward and desire to be closer to the Lord. So it's very important for us to realize that it would be so simple for people to creep into the midst of our congregations unnoticed that start bringing in all kinds of differing ideologies. Most of the time you're not going to spot those ideologies until you have a situation where they've been with the congregation for a time and they say, hey, let me, let me teach a Sunday school class. Or you, you put the word out, hey, we need teachers for Sunday school, or hey, we need teachers for Bible study on Wednesdays, or we need, we need some help in these areas. And these people begin to volunteer, and then as they begin to teach, they begin to bring the teachings that they came from in, the, in an organization that were, they were connected to 15 years ago <clears throat> into your congregations, and their teachings are now muddling or skewing the the teachings that the pastor might uh, believe or that the pastor might be teaching and so you have a a division of of teachings at that point and if people like this other person more than they know or like the pastor then they're going to start listening to this other person and you're going to start having divisions built inside the house of God. And at that, you can very easily, within a matter of years, doesn't take very long, destroy a church by these kinds of divisions, by those who would creep in 
and be unnoticed by the body until, of course, it's too late and the vigilance that should have been at the very beginning wasn't there and now you have this divided body. <clears throat> so that's what Jude's been talking about this whole time as he's been pointing these things out uh, that he calls them dreamers. In verse number 8, these dreamers that devile the flesh reject authority and speak evil of dignitaries. Uh, rejecting authority would be those who who would be attending a church that they that they refuse to accept the teachings or the leadership of their pastor. This is happens all the time. Uh, they they enjoy the fellowship of the people in the church, but could care less if the pastor existed or not, because of course they know more than the pastor does, and so from their vast amount of studies and their great wisdom, they're they're they don't have need of a pastor so they're they're just enjoying the body for the 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 attention they get from the multitude of its members and they like the idea that those members giving them a great deal of attention would certainly be their sheep even though they have a pastor unofficially uh these are my sheep and and there is that uh situation where the person our people may be very wise. They they may have college degrees. They may they may have studied themselves to a, a great deal of the scriptures. So they may have a great deal of understanding, except in one area. It's called submission. They, they don't have that at all. And in that pride that gives them that that accolade of being somebody among the congregation, they, they rise themselves up above the positions of the leaders appointed over them, and thus you have this these, these dreamers <clears throat> that reject authority. Defiling the flesh is very simple in that it doesn't necessarily mean uh, like what you would think it to be as far as being with prostitutes or being in adultery or doing all of these other different things. Defiling the flesh can happen from from a position of gluttony, overeating, and different in different things of that nature. So the, the defiling of the flesh comes from the rejection of authority, certainly of authority of God over you, and speaking evil of dignitaries. But he's also referring in verse number 10, these that we're about to speak of, but these, <clears throat> he's referring to those that that you'll back up and see that in verse number 4, they're the certain men who have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out, and they, they were also seen as is the land of Egypt that was destroyed because they didn't believe. It was seen as, as in reference to the angels that didn't keep their proper domain, but uh, was reserved in everlasting chains, those of Sodom and Gomorrah. All of these different descriptions from verses 5 to 7 are referring to these certain men who came in unnoticed and thus he calls them dreamers and goes down and deals with these <laughs> so this is this is just kind of setting you up for the definition <clears throat> of what you're about to experience in verse number 10 he says 
<clears throat> but these speak evil of whatever they do not know. And whatever they know naturally, like brute beasts, in these things they corrupt themselves. Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, have run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. These are spots in your love feast, while they feast with you without fears, serving only themselves. They are clouds without water, carried about by the wind. Late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots. Raging waves of the sea, foaming up their own shame, wandering stars, for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Now, Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of the, all their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of all their harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lusts, and they have mouth they they mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. <laughs> Needless to say, Jude really doesn't like these guys at all, plain and simple. And if we were to have a, a teaching like this in the majority of our churches today, people would flip out. I mean, they would be offended by this because Jude is, is not playing any games with these people. He's just calling it exactly the way it is. There are going to be in the midst of a congregations people who from time to time are going to show up and they're going to they're they're going to come in and they're going to believe themselves to be something. They're going to be throwing their weight around. They're going to be introducing themselves as as the ability to do everything and anything. Basically, the dream parishioner that you could possibly have. Uh, the congregants will be infatuated with them for a time. They will they will enjoy the fact that there are a lot of things that they don't have to do because these other people just rise up and take everything over and then about six months later everybody's going to be frustrated with them everybody's going to be sick of them but nobody's going to know what to do with them and they're just going to sit there and wonder how do we how do we deal with this what in what way do we address this because these are they who came in unnoticed and they wrapped themselves, they entangled themselves up into a lot of the things that, that the people uh, really weren't paying attention to. That's the point of being unnoticed. And now that they've reached that place where uh, the people are taking notice, they've been there long enough to where people don't know what to do because any step that you take is going to be a step that is taken in, in offense to this person and and or these people either way and that it's one of the greatest challenges that we face is that we're not diligent that we're not watching that we're not paying attention to to lives to people we're just drifting through this this world just aimlessly even though we think we have a a clarity of direction because we have we have you know a church we have 
curriculums. We, we, we study the Bible. We're still aimless because we're not paying attention to those things which God is calling us to pay attention to. We're not, we're not focused on the things that God would have us to be focused on. We're, we're chasing after pipe dreams. We're chasing after careers. We're chasing after uh, sports teams and, and activities and all of these other things that draw our focus and attention off of those things which God claims are important to Him. And, and, and the, the very institution that is of the utmost of importance to God's heart, being His church, is the very place that we minimize the most. And anything goes. Anybody teaches. Everything's, it, it, anything's permissible in the church nowadays. It's, it's, it's frightening to think about. Now, the interesting point of, for the whole the rest of this chapter is, well, at least down to, what do we do, 16, is this point. These speak evil of whatever they do not know, but whatever they know naturally, like brute beasts, and these things, they corrupt themselves. Now, there's a couple of places in Scripture. One of the first places that, that I was coming to today is over in 1 John chapter number 2, and in 1 John chapter number 2, in verse number 15, the scripture gives us this warning. So this is 1 John chapter number 2, and verse number 15, and the scripture gives us this warning. Do not love the world or the things in the world. Now keep in mind that this is what's known naturally. The things of the world are the things that we we grew up knowing these are the things that we reveled in, the things that we enjoyed before even coming to salvation, before knowing the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. Uh, the, the, the world was all we had. It was all we knew. The passions and desires that flooded our hearts, all we, we had to go on because we didn't have the truth. We didn't know, we didn't know a, a, a literal right from a wrong. We understood a concept of right and wrong because there are some things that the world considers to be more right than other things, but the world in itself allows all things to be permissible until it gets in the way of other people. Then <coughs> you'll find that the world carries a judgment. But otherwise, if you if you want to do it, do it. If you want to enjoy it, enjoy it. It doesn't matter how wicked or debased the, the things may seem. To the natural man, all things are permissible. And this is why the natural man cannot perceive the things of God. It's revealed in 1 Corinthians chapter number 2. Neither can the natural man know the things of God. Because the only way that you can have the things of God is in the purity of God, discernment by the Holy Spirit that is indwelt among the believer. So the natural man can't possibly connect to the things of God, nor can he know them, because they are things spiritually discerned. And so the natural man only has the world to be able to revel in or turn to. <clears throat> and the scripture tells us specifically here, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, these are the things, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. It's so vital for us to 
understand that point so that we would see that whatever they know naturally as we have back in Jude 1 and verse number 10 whatever they know naturally like brute beasts and these things they corrupt themselves it's the things of the world it's that lust of the flesh that they've corrupted themselves with it's that lust of the eyes that they chase after those things and bring them corruption and it's that pride of life that makes them feel that they can accomplish anything or justify everything as being permissible because the pride of life gives them that strength to be able to to make those adjustments and so, a couple of other places in Scripture alongside of this you will find. In 2 Peter chapter number 2, and verse number 12, I'm going to go there. 2 Peter chapter number 2, he, he talks about those who walk according to the flesh. Uh, let's see, those who walk according to the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise authority. So you find that in verse number 10 uh, going up. He said, they are presumptuous, they are self-willed, they are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries, just like the ones that we find in Jude 1. Uh, he says, whereas angels who are greater in power and might do not bring reviling accusations against them before the Lord, but these, talking about those who walk in the, the flesh in the lust of uncleanness that despise authority, these, like natural brute beasts made to be caught and destroyed, speak evil of the things that they do not understand and will utterly perish and their own corruption, and will receive the wages of unrighteousness as those who count it pleasure to carouse in the daytime. Uh, Peter calls them spots and blemishes. I mean, that's it's tough language, but it's truth. <clears throat> and so you'll find uh, down in the book of Jude here, we find that these who speak evil of whatever they do not know and whatever they know naturally, like brute beast and these things, they corrupt themselves. As you saw in Peter, the, the corruption of themselves, and as you saw in First John, the means by which they corrupt themselves. Now, we understand from Romans, uh, Romans chapter number 1, dealing in verses 21 and 22, but really to the end of the chapter of Romans chapter number 1. He says in verse number 21, Because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. And of course, the Apostle Paul has the same point made in 1 Corinthians chapter number 1 that, that God confounded the wisdom of this world by the simple things in Christ and he bound up the strength of this world in the, in the simplicity of Christ. And so you see that, that the brute beast, as was revealed in in first peter in its connection and was spoken of also in uh, romans as well as john there are several different authors who are speaking of this same subject at this point he says they speak evil of whatever they do not know and it's impossible as the apostle paul said for them to know the things of god in reality doesn't mean that a person can't study the bible i know plenty of archaeologists who, who don't believe 
in the spiritual truth of Scripture, but use the Bible all the time to be able to discover dig sites, to be able to um, unearth artifacts that are found in the ground, in the locations of the areas that the Bible say that civilizations were. They've discovered that in every location that the Bible spells out, that it's exactly a place where this civilization existed. It's how we found much of the biblical world and much of of that time frame is because of, of the Bible's accuracy. Nevertheless, the same people who use the Bible for the accuracy of discovering geographic landmasses will also curse and cuss the, the God of that Bible as not knowing the spiritual things of it because it's impossible for a person to understand the spiritual nature of God and the things of the Word of God being a natural brute beast. For again, the Apostle Paul would tell us over in 1 Corinthians chapter number 2 <clears throat> that the natural man cannot perceive the things of God, neither can he know them, for they are spiritually discerned. It's so very important for us to get that. He, he goes on, Jude, here goes on in verse 11, he says, Woe to them. Now, remember that, that word woe, it's an expression of grief because it is a proclamation of death. Woe to them. Is, is, is grief is in the fact that these people are dying unto themselves, having not surrendered unto the Lord and become faithful to his word and to his, to his service. Woe to them. They've gone in the way of Cain. Of course, you remember the way of Cain. He's, he's the, the first murderer in all of Scripture outside of Adam, of course, uh, keep in mind, I consider murder to be something spiritual before it comes becomes physical in its activity because I believe that all sin, those physical activities that, that are performed in this life, are born from the iniquity, which is that sin that wells up within our hearts that, that encourages the activities of our lives to, to come to pass. Well, <coughs> as you know, Adam ate that fruit. And in Romans chapter number 5, in verse number 12, it says, As by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And so death has passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. So I can technically claim that the very first murderer in all of the Bible is Adam. For he, in his rebellion toward God, effectively murdered the rest of his lineage for all time to include us today who perish without knowing the Lord Jesus, who perish in the position of these people that Jude is talking about or that Peter talked about, these brute beasts, or that, that John talked about, chasing after the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, or that the Apostle Paul's talking about that, that cannot perceive the things of God for their spiritually discerned and the natural man is impossible to do that. You see, that that was Adam's doing. <laughs> he separated us from God. That was Adam's doing essentially by eating that fruit. The consequences was everything connected to him. Now, the physical activity of murder was first played out through Cain. So the propensity of what Adam did in eating that fruit was lived out in his oldest son when he kills his youngest, his younger brother, Abel. So, <clears throat> needless to say, 
woe to them uh, due to the fact that it's a proclamation of death against them, but also of grief in the heart of God over them because there's no reason for them to die. Look at the grief of God as revealed in Ezekiel chapter number 18. It's one of my favorite chapters in Scripture because it shows the grief in God's heart over His creation of man. And and by verse number 31 of Ezekiel 18, you see God in in the position of just pleading with man, just outright pleading with man, saying, Why will you die? Why? Why? Turn from your wicked ways and live. Why will you die? Well, this is that proclamation of woe. It says they have gone in the way of Cain. They've run greedily after the heir of Balaam for profit. They've gone in the way of Cain. Instead of presenting the gospel of salvation through Jesus Christ, they've gone and they've taught that money is the Savior. They've gone and taught that that, that lavish lifestyles are important. They've gone and taught their their own selves as your your saviors they they they've murdered you by not giving you life through Jesus Christ in a true present presentation of the gospel because they're chasing greedily after the the cash for prophecies they they're chasing after that that cash money profit per, for prophecy as it was and they and perished in the rebellion of Korah, of course, with the rebellion of Korah is where you have the division of, of the people who are for God and the people who are against God and the ground opening up and just swallowing all of them at the time of the giving of the commandments that, that Moses come down off the mountain after 40 days. So <clears throat> you have this issue that, that is a broken heart for God. It's a broken heart for, for Jude it ought to be a broken heart for us, but you know why we're not broken hearted over it entirely? You know why we haven't said anything about it? You know why we're so very careful not to offend other other faith groups and, and, and you know, fight for the the faith, contend for the faith, fight for the truth. You know why we're we're so willing to to surrender everything so long as we can get along? Is is because we just don't care. We've allowed all these things to creep into our heart unnoticed because instead of being faithful students to the Word of God, we've been faithful students to the Word of the world, the Word of of, of religion, the, the, the Word of political correctness is what we've become a student of. Oh, we can't say that. Oh, we can't do that. Oh, we can't go there. Oh, and then we justify it by saying, well, we could be wrong. Well, we may not be right about this. Well, we could be off about this. So everybody can be correct because everybody could be a little off or everybody could be actually all the way on. And, and so since we don't really know, we can't really say. No, that doesn't fly for Jude. That doesn't fly for Jude. And it doesn't fly for, for Paul either. I mean, even even to the point of being wrong, Paul said, be thoroughly convinced in the things that you're doing and then do them. Take a stand on them. And if you're wrong, guess when you'll discover it? <laughs> when you make When you make judgment. Uh, if you're right, hallelujah, guess when you're going to discover it? When you make judgment. Well, 
Well, the answer's pretty clear on that one, I think. But anyways, he comes down and he says, Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, have run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. And then he goes on to speak about these. He just provides a great deal of adjectives about them. He says, These are spots. The love feast that's being referred to in, at this position is is dealing with the the position of of foot washing. There are some uh, denominations within the Christian faith, mostly connected to the Brethren organization, like in Virginia, the Churches of the Brethren. They call they call the services that they host love feast. That they would provide the communion service, but also during that, as people would be coming in, they would be performing a foot washing. Uh, for the people and and celebrating the Lord in in the activities that He did to to love His disciples there at the Lord's Supper. Uh, we also understand that in in the Plymouth Brethren they've done very similar activities and and Amen. So these love feasts are not something that is explicit. They're not something that is wicked or evil. This is actually something that. The churches that Jude was referring to are were being a blessing, are are sharing in in the love of Christ as would be communion, and at that point Jude is calling these these people that he had referred to all the way back up in verse number four that crept in unnoticed as being spots, <laughs> being blemishes in those love feasts. He says while they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves. There are clouds without water, which, of course, we, we've dealt with plenty out here in the West, which has created a drought, which, by the way, the warning that Jude is giving is that these people are puffed up about themselves, but they really don't have anything to be able to give uh, to the congregation as a whole. And so you can have a drought within the body of Christ where these particular people that have crept in unnoticed can be. And that drought can end up causing the the rest of the fruit that the church had been amassing to fall away. He says there are clouds without water, carried about by the wind, late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots. Uh, very graphic tellings of of the emptiness of these people's lives as being natural people and not discerning the spirit, for there's no possible way that they could possibly know him. He calls them also, in verse number 13, raging waves of the sea, foaming up their own shame. So these are people who, when they don't get their way, they're going to fuss, they're going to cry, they're going to uh, complain, they're, they're going to be loud, they're going to be boisterous and rambunctious to the point where it can bring a congregation to be afraid of them and so that they can get their way or get what they want. And, and when they're not satisfied with the way that things are going, they threaten with leaving, they threaten with all kinds of things. And buddy, I've seen a lot of this, dealt with a lot of this. Said raging waves of the sea, foaming up their own shame, wandering stars. Uh, these wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Wandering stars like shooting stars, church hoppers, bouncing here, bouncing there, going to the next place. They're not satisfied with being able to control things in this church anymore. They're They've, they've wreaked enough uh, trouble that they've, they've uprooted and gone to the next place, and the next place was unaware of them, didn't know anything about them, so they settled themselves in. They, 
they put their grips in. They got all of their controls that they had originally at the last place. They start ruling and, and reigning without being seen necessarily, except for in certain occasions where it will benefit them and, and make them feel better about themselves until people start catching on to what's going on and they start correcting them and they start... Uh, you know, chastising them in certain places, and and then they start getting loud and boisterous and fussing and, and complaining about how this is a horrible place when it used to be only a couple of weeks ago the best place that ever existed, and and off they go. You don't see them again. They they take off the next place, and they're just constantly going from place to place like wandering stars, and so. Uh, there's a lot of things you can really get from Jude in understanding when new people show up through your door and decide that this is the greatest place that's ever existed and they want to they want to just unite with you and they want to they want to serve God with you start paying notice <laughs> don't don't just say oh great everything's open whatever you want to do just come on in and do don't do that don't do that. Start paying notice and attention because understand that, that this happens so much. It's these people that Jude is talking about because the last place that they were at was a place that, that, that they had reached a dissatisfaction with because they no longer had authority or control to be able to rule over anything. So they've come to you. Be certain to be that place that make sure they understand you're not ruling here. And at that point, it's very possible they may just go on down the road to the next place. Oh, and by the way, warn the next place. <laughs> not that they should not invite them in, because these are a people that need to be born again. These are a people that need to hear the gospel. They need salvation. But that the other place is aware so that they cannot come in unnoticed, but that this other place is aware to share the gospel with them, but to ensure that their, their house doesn't get infected by this brute beast. I say, well, that sounds awful harsh. No, it's really not. It's actually loving each other. It's actually more loving to recognize them for what they are and share the gospel with them in the hopes that they could receive the Lord and become a productive children of God who are born again than it is to leave them in the lust of their flesh, the lust of their eyes, the pride of life, and address nothing and allow everything to happen. That's more destructive. He says, Now Enoch the seventh, oh, yes, that's right, Enoch the seventh from Adam uh, prophesied about these men also, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Now, this is really exciting because this particular quote that we find comes from Enoch. Now, Enoch is is a pretty cool guy because he he was the guy that was taken by God. He he was translated in that he should not see death. Enoch was was one of those guys that was very special to the Lord one day in a conversation with God. Just, God just forgot to take his arm off of him, took him on up into heaven with him. But the, what's interesting to me about this is is that we have a quote that is coming from Enoch that isn't written in in Genesis. This is a quote that is 
that has been referred to as coming from the a book of Enoch, which is is something that I'm not too sure has been discovered or not. I've seen a couple of of um, covers in the world today concerning the book of Enoch, but I wouldn't know that I could trust that that was an actual writing of the actual character that is found in the Bible as concerning the person of Enoch, the seventh from Adam. But <coughs> I love the quote that he gives us here in verse number 14, as the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Now, to execute judgment, the Lord comes. This is dealing with the second coming of Christ. Uh, this is dealing with Revelation chapter number 19, moving into Revelation chapter number 20. Uh, the Lord comes with ten thousands. Of course, the number of thousand was as high a number as you could possibly get during this period of time. So the, the multiplier of the plural thousands can refer to millions. They just didn't have that language in their day. But he says the, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints. So this is the white horse rider of Revelation 19 and the, the saints that are coming with him, a whole host of the army of the Lord, to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Uh, dealing with the ungodly. These are grumblers, <laughs> complainers, walking according to their own lust, and they mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. Sounds familiar? It ought to be. Well, uh, I, I was hoping to complete the chapter, but I'm going to have to stop at this point. And so we will finish this off on Monday because I only have about, uh, about nine or eight verses to go. So, amen. But I, I just didn't want to rush through to get done and miss all of the the connecting scriptures, like what we got in First Corinthians, what we've got in Romans, what we've got in in First Peter, Second Peter. Uh, we've got to get this in our heart. We've got to get this down. So we want to take time. We want to dig in deep. So thank you for taking the time with me today to dig into this, and we'll. We'll catch up to it on Monday for, <coughs> as I said today, a completion of this. Hopefully we'll complete it. And then we'll move on to the letter of Philemon. Just so we can cover some of these letters and, and really see what God has to say in them. Till then, uh, we're going to enter into prayer here in a minute, but you can catch me on Sunday. We're going to be having the third installment of Jonah after dealing with Jonah's repentance inside of the belly of that great fish. We're going to see the execution of God's will be done and the frustration of a prophet that didn't get his way. So if you want to catch uh, Jonah on Sunday, tune in to Martin Baptist Church page and we'll be getting to that and... Then we'll see you on Monday. Father, we're thankful 
We ask thy blessing upon us as we consider these truths, that you will flood our souls and help us to be vigilant, eyes wide open to the work that you have for us. In the blessed name of Jesus, amen. God bless you, keep you, and cause his face to shine upon you. And I'll catch you soon for another episode here at the Preacher's Corner. Take care, guys.